Hi, I'm Justine Harcourt de Tourville, and welcome back. This is virtual, and we're going to have a podcast. This episode is with Julian Sarmiento, the Chief Creative Officer for Iconic Engine. Now, he's had a career that is basically the technicolor fusion of art and technology. In two decades, he rose to leading the computer graphic teams on some of Hollywood's biggest blockbusters, think iRobot or the Oscar-winning The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. He has worked with the top creative thinkers on products, on films, because he inhabits that rare space of both artistry and knowledge of things like VFX, 3D, stereo, UI, UX, mobile, direct manipulation, IoT, computer vision, artificial intelligence, and blockchain. And those skills are at the foundation of his interactive and immersive work. Julian talks with us about the different roles, creativity, technology, and innovation, and how these interplay with humans and what that means for XR. Okay, so Julian, one thing I've found is that you are very hard to find, um, almost non-existent if it were, wasn't for IMDb. So perhaps you'd like to give us a little bit of your career overview and a little bit of insight why you're such a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the main reason is because um, I spend a lot of time actually working and getting the stuff done, to be honest with you. And then social media becomes secondary. Uh, I've always been a big fan of letting my work do the, most of the talking for me. Uh, I think most people knows my work, uh, but very few people knows me, you know, until recently, unless, unless you're part of the, the selective few. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's probably the main reason why my, my social presence is not as strong as... As my work is out there. Well, tell us about your work. Tell us um, what was the first thing you did to get into the industry. So I originally started working at NBC. Uh, I was doing a lot of pilots and and that type of work. And then and then I realized that working for TV was extremely difficult. Uh, very long hours, uh, very difficult schedules. And, and it wasn't as rewarding as I thought it was going to be technically. You know, I, I, I'm sure it's, it's very rewarding creatively, but technically it wasn't as rewarding as I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the, everything is a format for TV. So especially back then, we're talking about 20 years ago. So the format was definitely, it was, it was a template. You know, people tend to, and obviously there was no sci-fi or any of that kind of stuff back then. You know, um, so so technically wasn't it wasn't as, as challenging. I remember bringing one of the first motion capture systems to to TV, and and people wondering what was that for because that was a features type of tool, but I I, I I knew it could be used for TV. So so I started the the whole virtual set movement in television over 20 years ago, which technically that was a type of tool used for, for features. Mm -hmm. But I knew it could be used for, for TV. Then after that, uh, I realized that actually my heart was where technology meets creative. And, and very quickly I realized features was the place to be, uh, a place where, where technology and creativity comes together as one. And, and, and you don't really differentiate them. It's, it's all the same. Um, so then, then I, I joined Digital Domain, uh, 
I worked there for, for a bit. Then I moved to Sony Pictures Image Works, in which I had the pleasure to work as a creative and technical artist while I was there. I moved across multiple divisions uh, during the time that I was there, and I learned a lot. Uh, one of the cool things that working for visual effects back in the days, it was the fact that you couldn't really Google anything. You have to figure it out on your own. So there was a lot of pride on, on, on figuring things out on your own and, and, and trying to come out with the ways to do it. You know, you couldn't just Google it and, and figure out the answer or there was no forum. So people couldn't really help you. Also, the community wasn't as big uh, as it is nowadays. So it was basically, it was you. You have to figure it out. So then I, uh, I was at Sony. I moved for, uh, across, like I say, multiple divisions from creative to technical. Um, and then, and then at that point, I, I thought I had enough enough skills to to actually start overseeing shows. And that's when I went off and started overseeing shows, and I started overseeing features and supervising or leading projects and different divisions of movies. And I did that. To probably about 2009, mm-hmm. 2009, then had my own company, same thing, oversaw a lot of projects, really amazing clients. Can we get uh, some of the projects and the names that you worked on sure, just to help sure. people? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so the, the movies range, uh, they're all over the place in type of uh, Movies, uh, features. They they go from uh, feature films like really sci-fi stuff like I Robot with Will Smith, uh, all the way to animated features like Pole Express and and Beowulf and all that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, uh, Pole Express was one of the main movies, in my opinion, then allowed the whole digital mu- uh, digital human movement to start. That was one of the first ones. Also, the one they reintroduced a. Uh, 3D films back to the theater. Uh-huh. So I'm very proud of to be part of that one. Um, so, and then after that, uh, Benjamin Buttons, uh, just endless Terminator. Honestly, the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> Pirates of Caribbean. It just, honestly, it's hard to keep track of how many features we work, I worked on. Uh, probably over 50, 50 wow. of them. Yeah. Uh, every single one of them, uh, Big blockbusters, big summer blockbusters. You know, generally when you work in this in this in this field, all the movies you work on is all the summer blockbusters because those are, those are the ones that can afford. You know, three hundred people, three hundred artists working for the movie. You know, um, and then uh, the last feature I supervised was uh, one with Guillermo del Toro, uh, Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, that was my last one. I was actually working with Guillermo's Del Toro studio with him, a company called Mirada, and Mirada was sort of like, in my opinion, the first creative technology house in the world, at least that I knew of. And keep in mind, at that point, I was already in the industry for over a decade, and I, I hadn't found a company like that before. And and I went there, and one of the things about Mirada when when we were there is the fact that they were exploring technology, hardware, software, meeting creative. And and I've, I found that out as I was working on Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. So, so um, that actually, that, that was actually the beginning of my transition to the XR space, discovering what 360 cameras were, what immersive entertainment looked like, what interactive entertainment looked like. You know, back then, a lot of, a lot of this technology was really just being used for installations and 
you know, very one-off type of work. It wasn't really meant for consumers. Uh, so, so yeah, so feature-wise, you know, like I said, uh, all over the place from, from high-end feature films, uh, live action to, to sci-fi to even thrillers like Benjamin Buttons and stuff like that, you know. Um, and, and, and where, where did yeah. you find in this period, I mean, there's that's a vast resume of, mm-hmm. of, of work, but I do understand that you did have a little point in time where you're a little doing a lot of technology. With was that with Jimmy Havlin? Uh, no, I, uh, so my technology. So it has been funny. So so the whole technology meets creator has been an interesting journey for me because from day one, uh, from the first moment I started in the industry, I had a I had a computer science background. So so, uh, but then at the same time, I had an artistic background as well. So I went to art school, but ironically, when I was going to art school, I was also going to computer science school. So you're basically a full-blooded right brain, left brain. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's funny when when people say that to me because, because I I don't know any other way to do it. You know, like I'm, I'm definitely the guy who, who can conceptualize prototype, but then execute all the way to final product. And for me, even being able to execute is part of the creative, right? Like being able to actually take it from the from 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 beginning to end, like end to end sort of thing. For me, that's actually the creative process. I don't, I, don't, I do not believe as a creative, my creative stops once I finish writing, or once I finish conceptualizing or illustrating. Uh, I think my creative process ends when I write it, when I finish the last line of code and I compile and I send it out. And even then, I still have to work in the user experience and the adoption and the, and the marketing solution and, and the strategy and the business part of it and how to monetize it and how to push it out. And, you know, even that, even the business part of it and the execution and the economics of, the, of, the, of an idea is part of the creative I, I do not believe things are that dismember. You know, I think everything lives as a whole. And the fact that as a society, we have figured out a way to dismember it in order to be more proactive. That's a whole different thing. Right. But that's, I mean, that's just my personal opinion, right? Like, I just believe everything is just, it works as one and it's no. Well, that's an important philosophy. Yeah. Um, but you were in technology, so you yeah. were saying that you were... Um, you have both a background in both, both art and, and computer science, yeah. and you did end up working on the iPad. So yeah, so because uh, I was part of the whole creative and, and, and tech sort of movement that started in LA about over 10 years ago, that actually allowed me to, to, to work very closely with some interesting people. Uh, then I have seen them grow. Uh, over over the last past decade, which in the entertainment in the tech, in the tech space, the last past ten years have been extremely influential uh, for society. Period. Um, you know, Apple being one of those. You know, being part of that journey from the beginning has been extremely important. See them grow, uh, help them along the way has been has been really fun. Uh, same thing with Google. Google being being part of the of the Google initiative, especially Google moving from a from a searching sort of marketing tool into a technology space and content space. Being part of that journey has been you know a lot of fun. Being able to to help them with the with Google Cardboard and the VR strategy and 
how they're placing themselves uh, in the market with Daydream and all these different platforms. It, it has definitely been fun, um, you know. And and then the uh, you know being part of that with all these big companies. Funny because when we see them, we definitely see. These companies are just really big brands, but at the end of the day, they they do need that creative and technical people around them to support them. So, you know, and I've been I've been very, I've been one of the lucky ones, of the, one of the chosen ones to help them, you know, along the way, you know, here and there, you know. And so, with all that luck, so you you've had these great experiences. What moment would you go back in between the fun of the tech and the art and the film? What moment in time did you say this really pivoted you towards doing more with 360 or immersive or VR? Is, can you think of a single moment in time? There has been a few, actually. There, 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 there has been a few. So, um, fun enough, actually, a lot of stuff leads to my childhood and, and, and me craving um interactivity and being able to 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 allow my body to physically manipulate the things around me you know films uh, were doing that to a certain extent you know my hands were shaping what people were going to see but it, I just but simultaneously even though it was stepping into your emotions um it, it, there, there was there was it was very limited, and I think that's that's where the whole immersive and, and and interactive part comes in. Everything really happens once once I realize then then technology can can evoke physical emotions and can transform somebody. Uh, the big the big moment was with I actually. <laughs> Ironically, it was actually the the iPad, and there was a book, uh, Alice in Wonderland book. Then somebody made it interactive, and you can physically touch, and and the act of touching the book will actually change the narrative. And that uh, that sort of opened up a whole entire part of my brain. Then then was on top, and and then I realized then this Alice in Wonderland interactive book in the iPad, which they were pretty hot when the whole interactive book was pretty hot when the first iPad came out. Uh, I realized then the act of you interacting with your book was changing the narrative of, of what the book was meant to do or intended to do. So the physical act of, of you as a human interacting with the technology was creating a different output. And I put that was driven, it was, was human-driven and instead of technology-driven, even though the technology was the framework that was making this thing happen. So, so then after that, I started realizing, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, this is just a, a piece of technology. Uh, I've always been a big fan that I only see technology the same way as I see a pencil or I see a eraser. This is really just tools. There is really nothing special about them by themselves. Um, so then after that, I said, like, okay, what about if this is creating this type of emotion? You know, this is making you feel happy. That's exactly the first the first uh, thing I noticed that was making people feel like they had ownership over the technology, like their contribution mattered towards the technology. It wasn't no longer a passive experience of you sitting there and, you know, absorbing stuff. You, you, you know, it was required for you to participate in order for the experience to go to be even bigger. So, so then after that, I realized, okay, if this is what an iPad is doing, then 
then what happens if you introduce more technology to it? Uh, at that time, uh, the sort of IoT movement was starting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't called IoT back then. It was just called things. <laughs> you connect to the internet, <laughs> IoT. And and then and then I started started really experimenting with the ideas, and also the Arduino Arduino sort of movement started as well. And I realized, oh wait a minute, there is a whole level of technology that wasn't available to people before, which is the whole microcontroller sort of space where you can actually physically engineer things at home and connect it through software through things and then have people interact with them. You know, this is I guess something that has existed for a while, but it was it was controlled by a few, you know. So so Arduino came in and sort of in the Raspberry Pi sort of disrupted that space completely. And that's basically what I actually allow to a lot of these thing to happen. Once again, the other thing that contributed towards that in my opinion was actually the the mobile the mobile industry being able to actually mass produce a lot of chips and controllers very small at a high value. It has definitely helped. But going back to your question, what I, so so the moment that I realized that you can actually trigger people's you can manipulate people's experiences with technology. That was like a an aha moment. Like, oh wait a minute, there's something here, you know, and this is before VR or AR or any of this kind of stuff. It really was the iPad. The fact you can touch it and it will do something different. You know, if I touch it in the right side, it does something different. If I touch it in the left, on the top and the bottom. So okay, what about if I was to take this and make it bigger, scale it. So maybe the act of you walking into a room changed the lights of the room. If you walk in with two people into one room, the lights go red. If you walk by yourself, the lights go blue. The act of its existing is altering the technology state. And that was basically really the DNA of everything. And whatever, so that was the moment. And then after that, I had to figure out a formula in which it was going to be a constant during this journey. I was mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's the constant of these. And one of the main things with technology and creative, I noticed, is the fact that everything was very hyper-focused into any specific field. But I needed to find a way to view things wider. You know, I always been a big fan that you can succeed, succeed more if you walk into a dark room with a flashlight than with a laser beam. Everybody tends to always be like, you have to be hyper-focused, laser beam, you know? And I'm like, no, you cannot do better if you have a flashlight with you when you walk into a dark room. That's, I tend to see the world that way. I tend to, to see how, how much more I can see. The macro versus the micro. Exactly. So then after that, I was trying to figure out what was the, the DNA of this thing, what actually was driving this whole entire thing. And it actually didn't took long for me to realize that it's actually a human experience. I'm like, okay, the human experience is there. We've been doing that with theater, books, everything. Everything is a human experience. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. But how can I formulate this in order to use the technology and everything? So then after that, after some searching, and obviously this is years in the works, um, I realized then what I really care about was evoking emotions. That was really what I care about. I really care about evoking an emotion. That Whatever the emotion, whatever emotion I'm trying to evoke, that's, that's up to the narrative, what I'm trying to do. But then after that, I basically reverse engineer from the emotion and see what things are needed to evoke that emotion. 
then the, the, the visuals, the content, the technology, all that stuff becomes secondary because they're just there to support the emotion that I'm trying to evoke. And that has basically, that has been the DNA for everything I've been doing for the last past almost 10 years now within the immersive XR space. Well, if we fast forward and um, now you are the chief creative officer of Iconic Engine and... I understand there's some of the um, the same kind of DNA, what you're just talking about in the new projects. Do you want to kind of elaborate what, what you're working on there? Sure, sure. So Iconic, Iconic's, Iconic Engine is actually is, is, is a byproduct of, of almost a decade of work. Uh, the legacy of Iconic Engine is actually digital domain. And you can almost say it's, it, it was a division. Originally, the division of Iconic was a DD division in which basically Geo Domain spent the last past four years focusing on the space. Uh, they invested heavily in the space. They purchased a lot of technology. And I sort of came in into the company to help that vision grow in any way I could. Uh, during the time that I was there, we went from just... Uh, creating some concepts, ideas to actually bring in stuff to market, some pretty big things to market, uh, from creative to technology to locations to hardware. It, it just, the list goes on and on. Um, so you're talking about actually real products, things real that people product. can hand, you know, touch, yes. feel, Correct. manipulate. Correct, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff is... is um, it's a business-to-business business, uh, solution, mm-hmm. uh, especially the cameras and stuff like that. Some of the technologies or frameworks or the, or the platform, you know, it's really just catered for high-end business to take advantage of. But then at the same time, one of, I guess, our biggest things that, that we, got to, we got to do there uh, was uh, the location-based stuff. Uh, that's one of the things then then for me was something then even prior of joining DD was something that I was developing for almost I want to say three three years prior of joining DD. Uh, DD digital domain. Digital domain, <laughs> correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, so so when I went when I went to digital domain it, uh, and the opportunity came up of actually executing one of these ideas was was uh, extremely rewarding time for me because finally I get to put to use years of, of a, you see as, as creative I think most people I guess most people know this but a lot of creative uh, creators just like anybody who does who does writing we tend to just put a lot of stuff on paper waiting for their right home for it you know the same way you will do with a script technology works the same way we just basically tend to put a lot of stuff on paper hoping so it's, for the, it's sitting there it's yeah. sitting there in yeah. a file waiting to be correct <laughs> correct and every single day or every single year or every now and then you sort of develop a little more on it you you get inspiration you you tweak it and you modify and you do this and you do that and 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 i think that's where the good ideas they show because they have they have a legacy within, you know. You can always tell when an idea was put together overnight than when an idea has substance, you know. Generally, ideas with substance are complex. They're robust, you know. Yeah, they've been fermenting. They've been, and correct, yeah. 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 So, so the, the, this, lo- this location solution, then, then 
then we developed a DD had some of that, had a lot of that. Uh, when we actually originally created the solution, uh, there was so, really just another 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 company out there doing it. Uh, nobody else was doing it. That was actually pre. LBE revolution, uh, which I'm sure at the time a lot of people were basically working on their own things at the same time for things to basically explode uh, at this, uh, simultaneously. Uh, so yeah, so we brought a, a location to to China and and just as a as a proof of concept, um, our, our focus was more around. The, the cinematic space, the Hollywood space, which is basically our language, you know, high-end features, high-end movies. And and the solution turned out, turned out to be extremely rewarding for the company, extremely profitable and lucrative. And, and so we deployed that to China. And next thing we know, we go from one location to 50 locations overnight all across China. Um, so that has been expanded. That the, the brand was so su- successful. It, uh, it's actually its own brand now in China. Um, but when we actually move uh, fast forward to what's happening right now with Iconic Engine, we're actually... We actually learned a lot in that space. Uh, we were lucky enough then there was a healthy amount of money put into, into the initiative then then we were actually able to learn a lot from it. Uh, extremely lucky in the sense because that's something very few people in the world get to get to do, you know, to actually test the market with real products across a whole entire country, across multiple cities, you know, multiple demographics, you know, that's not something then then anyone should take for granted. You know, I, I feel very lucky for, for being able to, to be part of that. Uh, the good thing about it is then... Now we actually get to use some of that knowledge and experience in that space into actually bringing something, you know, new to the market, you know. So does that mean you're going to tell us what you're bringing new (laughs) to the market? Uh, It's in the works. Uh, I I can say this. Um, One of one of the things that I feel very proud of. Uh, is is being able to always bring to the market things that people haven't seen before. Generally, people that, who knows my work, they they always they always know that when I'm working on something, is 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 rarely something that you can Google. Is is something like you? <laughs> that's me. That's <laughs> like, maybe that speaks about my brand. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. So um, yeah, very rarely. I feel like if you can Google any of my ideas, I have I have I have failed as a as a as a creator. Because then I'm not really creating; I'm just repurposing, and and there's a there's a space for that. There is a but that's that's not the space I live in. You know, I I, I work. So really you're hard. on the innovator path. I try to be as much as I can. You know, I, I definitely don't want to claim myself as one because that's a lot to claim. But I try as much as I can, or at least that's where my heart is. Okay. You know, so yeah, so with Iconic, we're we're definitely bringing something new to the market, uh, something extremely fresh, something then then should be out very, you know, in the near future. Okay. <laughs> and, and I will say uh, when it hits the market, I, I, I'm pretty confident people would know because, it, yeah, it's one of those products then it's going to excite people. Are we allowed to, okay, we can't play 20 questions, I guess. Um, uh, is it going to help one specific element of VR? Like, is it going to help a, 
um, move cinematic location or um, a sp- specific arena? Yes. Yeah, so or the user experience or something? It's, or? it's actually all of those. So okay. one of the things then... then We've we, narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things then, then, then we've been very lucky um, is actually uh, with the day is, is bringing real, real initiative to the market, you know, not just hype, you know, like real things that has substance and value. And what we're bringing now is basically that for the consumers. So we're, we're actually, this is a, a consumer product um, through the business. So it's more like B2B, B2C type of stuff. Okay. Uh, it's definitely, uh, but it, 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 the cool thing about it, I guess this is one of the things that I can say without actually even saying much, is the fact that this solution will actually bring all our solutions into one single product. Which means uh, or or CMS technology, okay. uh, or framework and, and platform technology, or distribution channels, uh, or hardware and engineering and software knowledge, and also or position in the market for for strategizing the business. So there is a lot of stuff. Then basically, this this product is basically going to cover most of what the company can do. Only one single product. So that's going to be exciting. Okay. It will definitely define the company. And is there a a release time where we'll find out more? Yes. So our goal is is to be launching it in the next five weeks. Five weeks and, and... So specifically... NAB. We're, oh, NAB. Uh-huh. So we're hoping to be launching it by NAB. And, and yeah, just stay tuned because, uh, yeah, it should be out there by NAB. Well, okay. And we're going to go back a little more and um, and kind of wrap this up. But I would like to, because you mentioned so many elements to uh, uh, making content, distributing it, um, the hardware, the technology, all of the many pieces. For creators that are up and coming in the market, um, what advice could you give them and maybe one or two of those those segments? Yeah, that's really interesting because one of the things then we do in Iconic Engine, we actually purchase a lot of content, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have one of the biggest libraries of content in the space. So so we study a lot of content. We talk to a lot of creators. You know, we're constantly seeing what content is the one that is relevant, which one is not, which one speaks to people, which one it doesn't. And so one of the things that we have noticed in the XR space, then, 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 then tends to do really well. And, and this actually can be used for any creator uh, to use as a template is generally thinking about products or things. <laughs> this is such a, then have sold to them. And this is back to what I was saying before about just sort of copying ideas. And and it's funny because this is something then it's so difficult to, to explain. But you can always tell when people somebody's passionate about their work, you know. And it's not really like do these, do do films about dogs or, or go shoot in Africa or, or film. It has not you know, all this stuff is, is somewhat secondary to, to what people's passion and love is behind their work. You know, I, I know I know there is a lot of people that tend to create content uh, based on, on 
demands of the market and stuff like that. But that always shows in the product. So I would say, like, if you're a creator, stuff like that, create content that speaks to you, then you understand well, then you feel passionate about, then you have some kind of a connection to, you know, start with that. Start with that because those are the ones that you're going to be more emotionally attached to. Those are going to be more invested to because they speak to you at the human level. They're not synthetic. You know, they're actually part of you. They're an extension of you. And that tends to reflect on, on the product, you know, and that works for for anybody. The good thing about it is that once you do it long enough, you actually get to biohack your body on what you care for. So once you become really good at that task, at one point you can actually synthesize what actually you care about. So you can actually come up with subjects that you're personally not really a fan of, but you can actually biohack your body to care for them. Well, I, I want to hear more about this. How, do, <laughs> how does one biohack their body? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's something then, then uh, you know, uh, I guess anybody anybody who's really good at their tasks, they do, they just probably don't don't use the, their, the terminology that I'm using. But it's the whole concept of you caring for something you didn't care for five minutes ago. Uh-huh. So that's all, all there is. Uh, you know, one of my biggest examples that I give to people is like, if I have a brand coming into me and it's like, I want you to do an ad campaign about a chair. Most people wouldn't care what a chair, a chair campaign. But in my case, I'm thinking, huh, a chair, that's kind of interesting. And there's a small chairs, there's big chairs. I'm sitting in a chair right now. So you, you know, really unpack it? You start unpacking and you start finding the spirit of the product, of the spirit of the thing, and you start caring for it. You start seeing the background, you know. Oh, what was the first chair built? What was it made of? What was the purpose of it? You know, and that's where writers thrive, you know. The, the, the deep dive. The deep dive, right? Yeah. That's, but as a creative, works the same way, you know. You, you start caring for the subject, you know. You start, you know, and, and, for, and that's where my background from visual effects uh, it really, really has a big impact because when we jump from feature to feature, we, we're in control of the, of the content of the feature. We just know that we have to care for that feature of what we're trying to do deeply, you know, for the product to show like that. So one, one movie I could be working with pirates and I have to really care about pirates and research them and all this. Next one is with robots. And now I have to care about Terminator and their history and all this stuff. And then the next one is with dolphins. So it's, you're constantly trying to move across topics and subjects, but every single topic and subject you really have to care a lot for. You know, you really have to get into it. So, so that's what I mean by, by biohacking. You start emotionally sort of hacking your own body to care for those things you didn't care for but that only comes with experience first you have to start with the stuff you do care about so you understand what the question looks like of caring for things hmm. you know and then once you understand that equation you can formulate it and then put it on paper and be like okay these are the steps these are the variables this is what is needed to, to create this formula at work now let me reconstruct it synthetically and then the product turns out always to be basically the same. And I think that's where the big difference between about being a, a hobbyist and a professional comes in. You know, professionals tend to be the same. They tend to see things that way, you know. Like I said, they really tend to care for things. You know, even if five minutes before, they didn't even know what the thing was, you know. So I say start with the stuff you really care about and then eventually you can do stuff you don't care about but you will love just as much. 
Uh, well, I, I do love ending interviews on the word love. So, Julian, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 